is talking about you know the history of this team and once again why I had you on you you spent you have spent a lot of time thinking about the NBA and basketball teams and the history of players throughout the decades and I really love your work I've uh, I've read a bunch and what I just want to know straight up my first question when you think the Washington Bullets what comes to mind When I think of the Washington Bullets, those wonderful red, white, and blue uniforms come to mind. Like, that's the first thing I think of, is those jerseys they have, like the mid-70s to, like, 1988, whenever they finally got rid of them. But those are that, that I think of, first thing, those, those red, white, Oh, blue they're hot. They're hot, right? right? The throw, those throwbacks yeah. are some of the best throwbacks ever, I think. But as it... Yeah, they're up there. Like, yeah, I mean... I think I think I remember I think LeBron maybe got in some trouble when he was in high school with a with someone bought him a West Unsold throwback. When he was at in high school. But aside from the colors, what else? When it comes from the the franchise history and the teams and the players, what comes to mind? Comes to mind, all right. Uh, um, let's take it by. I think we do like a, a decade thing. I'll make it quick. We can go by a decade, like you know, '60s. They moved to Baltimore. Um, I think the best Johnson, but uh, he is one of the best players ever. Yeah. The dude just gets overlooked. Uh, and I love it when like, I bring up the best job, and people are like, what, the announcer? It's like, no, he's the basketball player for like 50 to 70. Like, the, the dude that was breaking backboards, like, he was just absurd, man. Great defender, as I say, he's breaking backboards with his dunks. Uh, same thing to do. Finally got in the Hall of Fame like a decade ago. Uh, fortunately, I think he died of brain cancer like in the 80s, so that was. Unfortunate, uh, but he just really fantastic dude. Uh, he wanted a few guys that had his jersey retired uh, by the by the Wizards. So uh, he's one of my favorites. So I think about it uh, in the '70s. Uh, I was even thinking like Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes and how they made the finals a whole lot. But uh, my man is Bobby Dandridge uh, from the '70s Bullets. Uh, he's one of my favorite players ever. And the Bullets was not a one this championship in '78 without Bob Dandridge. Like right? that dude was hitting big shot after big shot. Um, in '79, they made the finals again. Uh, they lost in the finals to the Sonics, but they made the finals thanks to Bob Dandridge. They hit this game seven fadeaway baseline jumper, put them off against the San Antonio Spurs, and then they like that was like two seconds left in the game, so they won. Uh, that's one of like the most killer jump shots in NBA history, and like hardly anybody knows about it. So uh, that's Bobby D for the '70s Bullets. And then the '80s get a little, yeah, they get a little sad, unfortunately, but. Um, Jeff Rubin, that's my boy from the 80s bullets. And like, if anybody listening to this uh, does not know about Jeff Rubin, you need to hop, hold up, go to like basketball reference, get your, get your prime reference, look at the stats from the, from the 80s bullets. They are fantastic. And then on YouTube, they had part of like a playoff series against Boston from the 80s, and Jeff Rubin is just out there like a record machine. He is just like bowling people over. But the 6'10", wide dude, is like 280 pounds, he's knocking guys out the way, getting offensive rebounds and putting them back up. Uh, he's just a really badass dude, especially if he got like that, that 80s mustache. He was just fantastic. And uh, see, 
Well, it's it's all it's all it's all a, tra- it's all a tragedy. I mean, they basically had Weber, Juwan Howard, and Rasheed Wallace on one team, and it never really panned out. A lot of even though even though we will argue, there's. Gooks is good. Grant, Harvey Grant, got like, Muggsy. Ben, ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace. Yeah, they were, they were, <laughs> well, it's funny too, is that Dan Diamond, uh, healthcare writer, contributes to the truth about it. Uh, I don't know if you know Dan, but he wrote a really good piece on our website. I'll link it in the show notes where the Rasheed Wallace and Rod Strickland swap was one of the best one for one deals ever in NBA, like a trade just straight up because people forget that, that Strickland comes to wizards and he has, I mean the bullets at the time and he's second team, all NBA and is like leads the league in assists and has one of the top assists of franchise history. And then, you know, Rashid does Rashid's things before, you know, Rashid becomes Rashid, but but Rashid gets into his prime essentially when when he's traded away from Washington, which which is actually another history one. But I want to go back to uh, West because I, re- I have a post up that you wrote about West Unsold, you know, and you have West Unsold who you know huge rebounder, the outlet pass. I, I think you you really you really say some really cool things about the outlet pass. But the thing that really st- sticks out that you that you wrote this in 2013. That prior to West Unsold, that the wizard the the bullets were in sixty two sixty eight had a thirty six percent winning percentage. From West Unsold, from sixty nine to eighty one, they won fifty eight percent of their games, and from eighty two to two thousand thirteen, they won forty percent of their games. And I think you basically just said that the franchise had ten winning seasons out of Wessel's thirteen years, and they've only had eight out of the last thirty nine. Uh, just his impact. What what do you know of him as a player, Wes? Because I know that sometimes I, obviously, I was not alive to see Wes Unsold. What I really kind of knew was Wes Unsold was just him him being Abe's kind of man and and kind of being responsible f- as a GM and a coach for a lot of these bad eras of the of of the Bullets in the eighties. Just your thoughts of him as a player and where he ranks within the NBA lore. Well, first off, I think it was, I think it's pretty funny. Uh, I, I, I tweeted that out. Like, when I first, like, realized that stat, and I wrote that article, and I tweeted out, like, the, the stat that uh, you just read. And someone was like, well, you know, when he was coaching GM, he more than made up for all the success he gave the Wizards. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah, those are bad, those are pretty bad uh, coaching the GM decisions he had. But um, as a player, Wes, uh, he's one of those guys that they gets underrated because, like, the points just aren't there.
an overlook on the uh, defense because he can block a lot of shots. Like, the guy that didn't jump very high. Like, uh, he's like a, a big, giant square blob on the court, and he just occupies space. But uh, I think it kind of lost a lot of people who who might watch basketball before they ever played basketball. And I'm not trying to say that it's like, you know, one of those guys like, oh, you don't play basketball, so you don't know anything about basketball. But, like, when you play basketball, and, like, you play against a guy like, this big, big, you know, around that's hard to get around, and you <laughs> understand the importance or, like, the, the benefit someone like that can have on the team. It's like, they just occupy space. It's always and a wall, right? Paint to drive. And, like, the screens he said are just monstrous. Like, um, I've seen some plays, like, while you know games. Like, once you set these screens, like, the, the guy that runs into him is just, like, eating up, gobbled, or, like, they just crumple onto the floor, and they run into a screen. It is just, like, you, you can't, like, especially back in the 70s, when they didn't have all the stats that he kind of had to like, the perfect two stuff. Uh, but you, it is really hard to put a value on, like, the benefit an offense gets from the guy who just set screens that will spring the point guard or shooting guard free uh, for a jump shot or for a drive, uh, or even for, like, the pick and roll stuff. Um, so he was very useful on offense, even if he couldn't score a lot. Uh, he's also a really good passer. Like, look at this assist per game numbers. Uh, I think he's like top five or maybe top six or seven all time for centers. So he was a really tremendous passer. And like the better that is, he probably the court. Like, uh, there's a reason why the team was just so successful this year. Like, they had a lot of good players, but like, Wes was the rock for all those years. So he was kind of like the touchstone for those teams. Like, you know, you carried yourself professionally. You, 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 you knew you had to play well here on West Sunset's team. The guy just like, Carried like legitimacy to the team. Uh, that thing was very, very important. No, th- th- this is how you opened it. You opened it the piece. The outlet pass and West Unsell go together like peanut butter and jelly, like peaches and herb. <laughs> I like, I like that lead in. Yeah, man. But the thing that's is, the like, that, that's the thing people will remember though. He get that rebound, he just like grab it, pivot, and he could instantly see what's going on. He just chuck that pass all the way down court. The guy was catching the stride and laying it up. Uh, because I just remember this. There's a dude named uh, Mike Reardon who played for the Knicks and then got traded uh, to the Bulls. Yes. And yes. then also there's, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, he's killing me. Uh, Kevin Lockery. Yes, yes. So those two guys, Kevin Lockery was all the Bulls. He's, he's also a coach later, right? How, there's before West and after West. Like, before West, they had like a decent field goal percentage. Then they said, like, after we start playing with West, like, who just throws outlet passes? And our field goal percentage shot up because we just coaching outlet passes. And this all walked in for a layup, so our field goal percentage just jumped. So, uh, like, that impacts the offense. Like, being able to get that pass, get that ball, throw the outlet pass, and get a quick hoop. Now, I've listened to Kevin Grevy and also Bobby D talk about his outlet passes in, in depth and just how like how much they just initiated their offense and how much made it so much easier uh, to get to get some buckets, especially uh, getting numbers. To go from, from West. Since you you mentioned how Gus Johnson doesn't get as much love, a player that I don't think gets enough love not not amongst Bullets fans or the DC area or maybe some NBA heads I think they understand just your maybe your average that kind of diehard fan doesn't realize how badass the Big E was and his numbers. If you actually, I mean, even if you go by the numbers, just the Big E was dominant. I mean, he was a badass basketball player, and he—I don't know what it was because maybe it was a surly attitude, or—and I know that he wasn't a very good, friendly guy. There's stories of him in the media. I don't think he was always a good teammate, but he was a badass on the court. Am I? Am I? Do you think my perception of 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 Elvin not Elvin Hayes not getting enough pub is correct? 
And what are your thoughts of just him as a player and where he ranks kind of in, in NBA history as well? Kobe, Michael, Wilt, Shaq, Dirk, Moses, Elvin, Hakeem, Oscar, Dominique, Halvacek, Duncan, Duncan Garnett, Pierce. That's for points. And on rebounds, you got Wilt, Russell, Kareem, Elvin, Moses, Carl, Tim Duncan, Robert Parrish, KG, Nate Thurman. But I feel, am I correct? It's like you say all those names. I feel like Elvin's the one that people will be like, who's Elvin Hayes? What team was he on again? <laughs> you know what I mean?
yes, again, he was a difficult guy to work with, uh, but there's lots of people who are difficult to work with, but he did come to work. Well, so you got to give him that. I mean, the Nays missed uh, five games in the last eight days. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what perspective? I don't, I don't, I don't think that uh, Elvin Hayes is making. Uh, oh, hold on! I bet Nene made more in these last five games than Elvin probably did. What a whole season and a half, two seasons. I mean, it's pretty sad uh, considering Nene makes thirteen million dollars a year. Uh, the last, the last bullet I want to go into before uh, we move on is the the first magic. The, the the first one was called Magic. I mean, the thing is, this guy, gosh, I mean, you'd be like, like, was he the? Not only was he the first Magic, maybe he was the first and one video. Was he the first playground dude? <laughs> you know, like if you had the the tape, would be uh, Earl Monroe, Magic, Black Jesus, the Pearl. Obviously, this guy straight from Philly, held Jesus Shuttlesworth, the movie. What you know was basically based off of him somewhat. Uh, there's a quote, I mean, not based off of him, but there's a quote in the movie Denzel gives to his son about about Black Jesus, which is the story of Monroe in the in the streets of Philly. His 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 career and where he kind of went and how he is is very fascinating. It's very interesting, and and it's bizarre how he was pretty badass for the Bullets. Then he kind of gets more of his accolades with the Knicks later on, even though he was. He was very instrumental in beating the Knicks when he was on the Bullets. And he was just <clears throat> a scoring machine. I was very fortunate about three or four, about four years ago during training camp to interview him. And I wrote a whole piece on it. And I'll link that actually in the show notes as well. And, and, and I'll tell you some questions that I had for him later on. And he was really nice. And, you know, he's old now and stuff. But, man, I mean, you've seen some of these highlights. So before I go into some other questions about him, just... Your thoughts of that player, because what a treat he must have been to watch play basketball. Oh, yeah. So, he's a guy who's, I think, on the whole, uh, his NBA career didn't quite match, I guess you could say, like, his playground career and then, like, his collegiate career. Uh, but he had a really fine NBA career. Um, he was working at the year with the Bulls, uh, his first year with them. Yes. Uh, I think he made the All-NBA first team. I think it was the second year. I think he made the All-NBA first team. Yes. Uh, but he was a really great shooting guard. Um, and he got kind of like Elvin Hayes. It's like, when we talk about the greatest shooting guards in NBA history, um, they kind of forget about Earl Monroe, amongst many other people, but he's one of them that, you know, I, I don't think he's anywhere near, like, you know, the peak of the greatest shooting guards, but he's definitely one of like, you know, to be someone that mentioned that, the, I don't know, top 10, top 12 shooting guard in NBA history, but uh, I don't think any game would ever come up in most people's lists or ideas on that. Uh, uh, but I, he had, he had a strange NBA career, though, like you kind of alluded to already, uh, where he started out hot with the, with the Baltimore Bullets. Um, and I think for like five or six years in a row, the Bullets and the Knicks played in the playoffs, so they were just relentlessly going at each other. But then, like, you know, midway through, the Bullets trader up one row to the Knicks. And, and he takes the backseat role, uh, comes off the bench for his first couple of years, and helps him win a, another title. Uh, so that's like the second phase of his career. But then it's the third phase, which really doesn't get a lot of attention. It's like the mid to late 70s, where he had a really fine renaissance, where he just got back in the starting lineup. Uh, Willis Reed was gone. Denise Butcher was gone. Uh, Walt Frazier eventually got traded. And so Monroe was like the last guy to left from like those title Knicks. But he was still averaging like 18 to 20 points a game and even averaging five assists. And, like, just kind of forgotten about, like, late 70s Knicks. People don't think about him. And Armand Monroe was the best player on those teams. 
so that's kind of probably the end of his career at that point. But, uh, yeah, really fine career, really great player. Um, unfortunately, as I said earlier, you know, he just doesn't get the attention that a lot of other shooting guards get. What about his? So, is it kind of one of those things where his like legend of the playground didn't really match up to his NBA career because he comes on a team where there's already some established guys, right? Gus Johnson, you mentioned, and Wes, correct? Yeah. And, and then and then he goes to the Knicks, who already have an established team, and he's kind of off coming off the bench. And then when he does kind of shine, is when the Knicks kind of window is closed a little bit from a title standpoint, correct? So is he just kind of always missed his missed his moment? I, I, I never. Really, it's hard to really understand. That could be a little bit of that. Yeah. The other thing I don't understand. You, know, you, you can say that because like when you look the like when look the Bullets, like they they did really well, especially the uh, Lansdale's rookie year. Oh yes. Lansdale and Gus Johnson and Armand Monroe in '69. Yes. They won something like I think that was one sixty games that year. Had the best record in the NBA. Um, so like he definitely was part of really great teams for most of his career and uh, well toward the end of it they were just good teams not really good teams but just good teams on the Knicks but uh, I think an attitude like uh, from what I've, I've never got to talk to him personally uh, but from what I've seen in the interviews and stuff like he seems like a really you know nice affable guy just seems like someone who would kind of you know demand like a certain place on the team like the Kobe Bryant right um, I mean you saw Paul when he went to the Knicks like he was okay with going to the bench and playing behind Walt Frazier for a couple of years. And then they started started together in the backcourt. Now they're like, you know, best friends and all that. Uh, but, you know, I've read some articles from the time when he got traded to the next people like, oh, can Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier coexist? It's like, can, you know, can Magic, can the Pearl exist with Clyde? And Walt, or excuse me, uh, Earl Monroe was just like, of course we can. He's a really good player. Why would I like try to fight him on this? Like, we're a great team. I, I should actually should do what I can to help us win. And so I think his attitude is what kept him not in a bad way, but it's what kept him from trying to, you know, re- repeat what he did in college, like averaging 30, 35 points a game. He was fine with doing 11 points if necessary, 20 points if necessary, whatever it took to do the best job to have the team win a good game. Did he go to, like, Montana? It was, like, somewhere way out west. Idaho? I think it was Idaho, right? It was somewhere uh, weird. Uh, it was, uh, uh, Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson went to Idaho. Where, uh, where, where did it... Went to, uh, he went to a college in North Carolina. I think he went to. Washington. Oh no no! He went to the something, something, like something with the W. My bad. He went to the all the uh, something state in North Carolina. Yeah yeah, you're right. I was I'm thinking of yeah, a. He went to, yeah, he went to uh, Winston Salem State. I'm looking. At yeah, right. Winston Salem. I was. Yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Elgin yeah, too. That's the one that got exiled out of Idaho. Yeah. No, it's funny. The thing is, we'll finish up on uh, Earl the Pearl here. And to, to mention, just get some facts about what you're talking about, because you, I'm going from what you wrote, which is amazing that your your photographic memory here. In 69, the, the, the Bullets were 50, had 57 wins, and they were swept by the Knicks in, uh, in, the, in the playoffs. So 70 series, the 70 series comes, and the Bullets lose in, a game, se- in game 7. And Monroe averaged 28 a game, but shot 38%. So that's like Kobe Allen Iverson-esque right there. <laughs> Average 28 and 38%. <laughs> uh, uh, no, my, my bad, my bad. In 69, he had shot 38%. My bad. He averaged 28 in 69, shot 38. In 70, he averaged 28 again, but on 48%. So in 69 and 70, they lose both to the Knicks. First one swept. Next one in uh, seven games, uh, and, and Monroe played a lot better in 70. In 71, the Bullets were the underdogs, and they beat the Knicks 4-3. to three. 
And the seventh game was 93-91, and Monroe was the leading scorer with 26 points. Baltimore then went to the, the finals and lost to the NBA finals to the Bucks, who had won 66 games. Uh, and then... Yeah, that what, was unfortunate. What thing is, is like when I did the research, when I interviewed him and you know were asking general questions about the Wizards and the Bullets, they had brought him into a practice. And when I go back to write this, I'm like, why did they trade him? <laughs> like that, that was like that was like the glaring thing that was like on my screen. I was like, hold up. So he was on the Bullets going against the Knicks, and then all of a sudden they're like, yo, hey, uh, Bradley Beal, go to the Cavs. Or like, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, Derrick Rose, go to the Wizards. Or like some, some team you're trying to beat here in these playoffs, right? It'd be like, oh, yeah, we're going to trade like one of the better players to the other team. Now, I had tried to look this up. After this fact, and I never really got, you know, try to find some 1971 kind of news article on this, like analysis, aside from just the facts. And what I'd finally kind of found through some research, so it was, you know, back then it was about money, right? The owner needed some money, and they were low on some money, and he just traded it to the Knicks because they needed money. Uh, is that? Do you remember why they traded? Why you would? I mean, it's kind of bizarre to think about. I've- I know this is not a question I asked you to I've answer. Read, I, no, no, I, I've never read anything specifically on like why they trade them. I just know, like you said, like a common excuse back then was like somebody wanted to ask for too much money. Um, like that's why the Bulls traded Bailey out to the Celtics, like early years in the sixties. They're like, oh, basically, how is asking too much money? He's not that good. Let's trade him to the Celtics. But then, like, he helped the Celtics win two more championships. So, like, yeah, good decision there. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, they also got uh, they got Phil Schneer at some point. So I imagine maybe they thought like, oh, Phil Schneer is the young shooting guy. He can take his place or I'm on road. He's asking for too much money. Let's get his ass out of here. Yeah, but the thing is, like, like, tra- to but trade him to the rival. Right, but they figure we got a young shooting guard. Let's replace him with him. With let's replace him with him. But trade him to the rival seems egregious, right? <laughs> well, you know, the rival there, the Knicks were they were willing to put the salary. Out yeah, there. I guess, right? I guess they didn't, I they didn't have people like us tweeting them and uh, calling them, or, or, or I guess calling them. Like, there wasn't sports talk radio and, and people just bitching nonstop. Uh, there'd be like, what, one one sports article that come out at 5 p.m. the next day <laughs> in the newspaper? Well, you know, they tried to put Bunyan like two years ago and everybody said that was stupid and they still went through with it. So who knows how much that's going to help. And one one more topic before I, I let you go because you've been pretty awesome, and I know all all these bullets fans and, and even young fans, you, you gotta you know read this history, man, because it's it's a pretty it's pretty freaking cool how awesome this franchise was and how relevant they were for, I mean, a decade and a half. I mean, even you know we talk about the title in '78. I mean, here we're talking about '69, '70, '71, and then there's another run pretty much in the late '70s. Which maybe I'll have you on on another another podcast, and we can kind of go through some of these games because I think those the seventy eight, the seventy nine, uh, even losing to the Rick Barry Warriors, uh, sweat being swept in seventy five, I think is also kind of neat to talk oh, yeah, about. Yeah. It, which is also kind of neat because yeah, yeah, yeah. which is also of of the lore. But the other thing is is that as you know, here we are both in Washington D.C. talking about a basketball team that was in Baltimore and moved to Washington. But, but as a pro, pro basketball historian, the thing that I find fascinating that, and I was, I got a chance, they had Moses, 
L, the, 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 the Wizards have a lot of alumni. Like Ted Leonsis has been really good at you know getting older dudes back in. Deant, you know Bobby D, like you mentioned. Uh, they had Dave Bing, even had Christian Leitner. So it was Christian Leitner, Dave, David Bing, and uh, and and Moses Malone being like at halftime, and there was like four journalists, and I was one of them. And so they're all at the podium. So here you're trying to ask Christian Leitner about Christian Leitner stuff, right? And then there's Dave Bing, who's from DC, right? And then you have then you have Moses, yeah. who played. You know, it was a badass for Philly, but also had some really good seasons for, you know, rest in peace, Moses, uh, that, that, that had some really good seasons for, for the Bullets in the 80s. But what I find, you know, as a historian looking at it, is that you have Elgin Bear and Dave Bing from the same high school in Washington, D.C. Two top 50. I mean, those odds. Just Let's just start right there. Those odds. And I think that they, they obviously, I, I don't think they were there at the same time. They're, but But... Not very far apart, actually. But to have two top 50 NBA all-time players from the same high school in Washington, D.C. is just astronomical, those odds. Just your thoughts of those two players and just kind of the significance of of D.C. basketball. Because I think that they are kind of people, when we talk about D.C. basketball and the history, you know, we talk about John Thompson, the Hoyas, you know, even Allen Iverson, that area. You know, Gil Arenas and now John Wall and now Kevin Durant. And I think there's some other players that you'll talk about. But when it comes to just this area and hoops, I think it really starts with Elgin and Dave Bing. Don't you, don't you agree? I mean, yeah, yeah. you talk talking about, like, you know, NBA players. Like, yeah, you've got to start with, you know, NBA players from Washington, D.C. you got to start with Elgin Baylor. Um, I I don't know if he was the first NBA player from Washington, D.C., but he was definitely the first great player from Washington, D.C. in the NBA. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, we thought about Steph Curry, you know, he's, you know, people were like, oh, my God, he's revolutionizing the game, which he may very well be. I'm not dismissing that. But uh, I need to keep in mind, like, there's been players all along who've been constantly revolutionizing the game. And Elton Miller is one of those guys who helped do that. Um, I, I think people kind of mistake that, like, I think Elgin Baylor was, like, the first high flyer. Like, he was dunking the ball. He was, like, the first model for Jordan. And, like, that, that's not quite what Elgin was doing. Like, yes, he could dunk the ball. Like, he did dunk the ball. But what he did was have, like, the gliding stuff. Like, he was the first player that, like, really just took off in the air and kind of glided past defenders and was able to eject the ball midair and uh, hit layups in that kind of fashion. Or even, he was these really crazy runners, too. He was kind of jump up on one foot and then kind of adjust around to the player and then still like shoot it with one hand and he's like in the middle of the paint nowhere near the basket uh, uh, but that's what he's revolutionized like this ability to like and not just take a jump shot and not just take the layup but be able to adjust while in midair and that really knocked defenders off if like defenders at that time just used to like oh the guy's going out do our best to block it or get in his way and this, that's all going to be when Elgin come along or we're going to try to hop in the shot we normally do like what the hell do we just kind of like <laughs> and try <laughs> so like you look at the defenders back then and you're like yeah, they, like, they don't know what they're doing it's like well they've never seen anything like this before that's why they don't know what they're doing so um, so Elgin gets not overlooked I think though because he never led the league in scoring nobody was always ahead of him um I think Bob Pettit beat him about his first year, and then Will Chamberlain came in and always won the scoring title. So, uh, Elgin scored a lot of points, but was stuck behind Will Chamberlain. So, he never got a scoring title. So, you do your retrospective on Elgin Baylor, you can't say, like, oh, 
five-time NBA scoring champion and a three-time MVP, L.J. Taylor. There's always someone just a tinky little bit above him. And scoring just a little bit above him in the MVP race. Uh, but he's definitely like the first great D.C. basketball player there, probably still. No, not for probably, but he is still. Like, but as the NBA player from Washington, D.C., definitely the most important one. You know, there's a there's a great uh, article. I don't know if you remember it from Dave McKenna, the Washington Post, old Washington Post writer, Deadspin, I think, contributes also City Paper, where he talked about him and Wilt Chamberlain like playing ball, <laughs> like pickup ball, and Wilt Wilt driving his like Cadillac uh, or just some type of like convertible coming in, and him like playing ball in D.C. against Elgin when they both were in uh, college at the time. And I found that just a very, very pretty awesome read. I, I forget the whole details of it all, but it kind of basically was just talking about, like, everyone, like, how what a badass Wilt was, but, like, just how badass Elgin Baylor was and how what he was doing was just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got the record for, like, uh, well, okay, let's do it this way. He had the most points from regulation playoff game. Because he scored, I think it was 60, 61 points against the Celtics in the 62 finals. Michael Jordan broke that when he had 63 against the Celtics. Yeah. But he had to go to overtime uh, to get that. Uh, but that was just had the most points for our final game. The 61 points came in the final. So, Jordan lost that game. 61 points in the NBA final. Did Jordan lost that game, too? Yeah, the Lakers won that game too. Yeah, they beat the Celtics that game, four sixty one. So wasn't that the one that Jordan goes through? Uh, his, his, I mean, obviously. Wasn't that the one that Jordan goes through his legs like five or six times or whatever? I think that's how yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He juked up Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> what Larry go for like? Larry and Larry went for like forty two or something, right? <laughs> but what about Dave Bing? Tell the people about Dave Bing's game before before Dave we wrap this. Well, that's his heart. Dave Bing, Pistons, Pistons. He went to Syracuse for college, Syracuse University. Um, this is a match I thought fascinating. This isn't necessarily the on the court stuff, but um, when he was in Syracuse, like uh, at University of Syracuse, the Syracuse Nationals were still playing there in the NBA. Oh wow! But he would often like go check out the games there and stuff. When he would play against some of the guys from the Nationals. Uh, um, so, uh, again, Dolph Shays, rest in peace. Uh, so Dolph Shays, who was amongst them, uh, uh, Red Kerr, and also uh, Earl Malloy. And Earl Malloy was the first, I think he, he's like, I think he's the first black player to play in the NBA game. Yeah. Uh, so he and Dave Bing kind of struck up a friendship, and um, they stayed best friends for the rest of their lives. And Dave Bing inducted Earl Malloy into the Hall of Fame, and that finally happened. Like, he was in, uh, like, he got to introduce him to the Hall of Fame, basically, when they had the ceremony. Uh, so Dave Bing was a guy who always like understood kind of the bigger picture as to what was going on, and uh, he always looked back at Earl Lloyd like gave him his respect. The uh, Dave Bing was always one who thought bigger than basketball, obviously because he later came to Bear Detroit. Uh, so he, I think that's something that I always mentioned with Dave Bing, just kind of the, the bigger perspective he always had. Um, but as a basketball player, the dude was really awesome. Um, he kind of it's hard to pin him down though because he. You know, sometimes he'd be a point guard, sometimes he'd be a shooting guard. So he's like one of the first combo guards. That's what I wrote about him. Uh, um, like some points in his career, he's a point guard. Other points, he's a shooting guard. Other points, like, I don't know what the hell he is. He's about that playing guard and scoring 20, 25 points and getting six to seven assists a game. Uh, whether he got him at the point guard or got him at the shooting guard spot. Uh, but he was a really good shooter. 
Uh, I wouldn't say great shooter. He was a really good shooter. But surprisingly, this was, at least for me, was surprising. When I finally got my hands on some film on AD, he was really good at dribbling and penetration and kind of throwing some, I call them like crafty passes. It wasn't quite like Matt Johnson, no look stuff, but he was able to catch defenders off guard, like hit passes at really odd angles to get people uh, to hit them on their open. So um, he, he kind of gets. Kind of gets overlooked, I think. Uh, he, he, he's a little more, um, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah, I guess he's one of the more creative players in NBA history, but since we have, like, the real lack of game film about him, a lot of people aren't, aren't cognizant of that. And also, he played for the Detroit Pistons when they really, really suck. So, nobody's going to remember him. Even if they like, Earl Monroe, people who do remember him, oh, yeah, he helped the Knicks to a title. Of course, we know Earl Monroe. Dave Bing didn't help anybody to win anything because the team was always so bad, so... Uh, I can't even get that going for him. I think that you start, so you start with Elgin and Dave Bing, which you know, they end up with the same high school, which, once again, to repeat, is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and then you think, I think before you kind of get to, we're recognized with, with John Thompson and in the whole Georgetown, even though that's college, but just kind of recognized from a national scale, I think you have Adrian Dantley. And some of the stories... That I would read about Adrian Danley, just the buckets that he would. I mean, there's some playground stories about Adrian Danley out there in the in the in the DC uh, legend of some guys. You know, I once again, I don't know how much this is barbershop talk. You know, being passed down here and there, but that dude can ball. That dude can score. From my from my personal standpoint, what I remember about Adrian Danley is obviously balling, balling out for the Mavericks and then being traded to the Pistons and helping them. Uh, Win the title, correct? Or was he? Was that the opposite? He got traded from the opposite way. Opposite way. He was on the Pistons. Yeah, they got traded to the Pistons. They got dumped on the Mavericks. Yeah. Who, uh, who did they trade? Who did they trade? My bad. Saved by Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. yeah who, who did they trade for? Uh, the big guy, right? Uh, traded for uh, Mark Aguirre. Mark Aguirre. My bad. The opposite. Mark Aguirre, DePaul, also because I think Isaiah liked him from DePaul. <laughs> Chicago guy. Yeah, Chicago yeah, yeah, no, but so Danley was the scorer, gets traded. So what I you're correct. So what I remember is that can be an awesome scorer. Him kind of getting screwed out of a title here and there, but the Pistons won, so it didn't really matter. But then when I come, I moved to DC, you know, years later I get older, and they're like, man, one of the best basketball players this city's ever had is Adrian Danley. I'm like, really? Like, what are you even talking about? Like, you got Elgin Baylor. I didn't know much about Dave Bing until I read up about him, but I knew Elgin Baylor, you know, and I knew Georgetown and Patrick Ewing and Allen Iverson and, and you know, even some other some other dudes here and there, but it was like, no. Like, the dude that could get buckets was Adrian Dantley. Your thoughts on Adrian Dantley, just to let the people know, what, what kind of, like, impact he really had on the D.C. area hoops. DeMatha as well, right? I think he's DeMatha, oh, right? Oh. Yeah, yeah, he went to the map, uh, uh, so just uh, across the border of Maryland. Um, also went to Notre Dame, which I found odd when I first learned that. I was like, really, Notre Dame? Whatever. Was that Digger? Uh, Digger? Was that Digger was there? Uh, hmm? Was that Digger Phelps as the coach then, or no? I, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, I think he was still the coach in Notre Dame, because I was like uh, 70s. So, yeah, I think he was the coach. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I can't speak a lot to Danley's impact on DC high school hoops uh, because I just don't really pay attention to high school hoops and always want arms. Uh, uh, but I will say Adrian Danley was a baller in the NBA. Like, he got buckets. And he is one of my all-time favorite players because when I was a little small kid, 
I would watch ESPN. And ESPN had this little show called uh, NBA's Greatest Games. It was like the early 90s. So you would have Dan Patrick at the host. And he would bring in two players who played in like an all-time classic game. And um, one of the games happened to have Adrian Dantley. And just watching the moves the guy was putting on people. Like he would just, like people talk about Kevin McHale having a torture chamber. Like Adrian Dantley had his own little torture chamber. Like this six-foot-four post-up player who would just like run his way around guys. Because he was like so short and stocky. So he could like just move you out of the way to get to where he wanted to go. And... He shot the ball in such a funny way. Like, he couldn't throw it around people, too. Like, he would always get fouled. And the guy was shooting, like, 10 to 11 free throws a game when he was with the Jazz. And he made, like, 85% of his free throws. And it took him, like, a minute to shoot every single free throw. Uh, so the guy definitely, like, kind of slowed. The, people think of the 80s as, like, this high-paced action, which it was. But he had Adrian Dantley out there who was – we would play the game at a fast pace, but once he got the ball, like, the game just slowed down. And he would just work his way to post, spin around you, get fouled, take two minutes to shoot his free throws. And um, just, just an amazing player to watch. Like, you never going to see another guy like Adrian Dantley. He's a six-foot-four post player who shot, like, 60% from the field, 85% from the free throw line, scoring 30 points a game. Like, that is never happening again, I don't think. Do, do you know that he's a, he's a crossing guard? <laughs> Have you seen those stories? Yeah, 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 or Silver, Silver Spring, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's PG County. I don't know. I, I, I just actually saw again. Like, I was doing the research for this. I was going to bring him up, and I was like, "Really? I'm going to bring him up?" And there's an article two days ago, like a picture of him, like all folk. I mean, he's working it too, dog. Like, he's like, he's out there, like, yeah. traffic controller. You know? <laughs> Like, he, he saved this, but, like, I read the article and I read a couple more about it, and he's just, like, Adrian Daly is talking to him, like, why, why, you're, like, an NBA Hall of Famer, why are you doing a crossing guard work, don't you have enough money to retire on? He's like, yeah, I do have enough money, like, I saved wisely, I didn't go spending all my money, but he's like, I want to have a job, and, like, he's taking it serious, I'm like, he's like, this is my job, I'm going to do it, like, a crossing guard, I'm not doing it, like, he's out there taking it real serious, I'm like, I love Adrian Daly, like, here he is out there being a crossing guard, and he probably can still get 15, right? <laughs> I can still get out there and get that. Right. <laughs> yeah, at, at least just put him out there at the end of the game and let him get down. He'll get all the free throws. So. <laughs> I mean, a little struggle roughing down the court, but you get a little half-court situation, man. You know he's still got those moves. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> then the ball to him. He'd hold on to it, and then they had to force out him, and then he'll just get all the free throws. That'll work. Oh right, man, I, I've, I've, we have ran really, really long. I told you that we would talk about half the time, but man, you know your stuff. I mean, I might have you back on so we can really. T- I would love to maybe talk about these end of the seventies teams. We can. Ch- I, I also want to maybe talk about Moses Malone. Uh, Bernard King is another player that we, we that I would love to talk about oh, with you. Man, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just hold that. We'll tease that for the people out there because uh, uh, I I got to get going. I know you, I've already you know there's some hoops to watch and stuff to do. But man, thank you, thank you so much. Let the people know where they can find you. Uh, you know what you got going on. I, I know that uh, you're on the Twitter machine, so just you know pump. Pump yourself up to the people here. All right. All right. So, uh, 
Twitter, uh, it's at ProHoopsHistory. Uh, the website is ProHoopsHistory.net. Uh, so I recently changed the domain name because, like, personal qualms, I, I, like, I'm, like, I have weird ethics and crap. So I was like, I, I don't like having dot .com at the end of the week because, like, I'm not into the big money. So I was like, I'm changing the dot .net. So anyway, <laughs> ProHoopsHistory.net. At ProHoopsHistory on Twitter. That's where you can find her. Um, if you are more into politics and history, you can find me in other places. I'm not going to advertise it, but you can find me in other places. But basketball, ProHoopsHistory. And on the Twitter, that's what it is. Curtis, this is fun, man. Thanks a lot. You know your shit, dude. And I think a lot of the people uh, are gonna get some get some use out of this. And we'll we will do this once again. And I'm sure, hopefully, we won't talk about the Sixer for ten more minutes ever again. But <laughs> or Kobe, we're done with them. I'm not talking. About, I'm not talking about Bernard King for twenty minutes. Then I would uh, the Kobe Kobe stand ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks bro uh, thank you everyone for listening uh, once again you can I will link all those links in the show notes uh, we the, the wizards I'm going to try to do a couple more podcasts they're on a road trip I'm going to try to do two more one with maybe uh, another special guest another blogger and then Kyle gets back from his uh, anniversary from, from New Orleans and we're going to talk about this road trip when he gets back in studio so it'll be great me and him can cuss at each other in person once again write iTunes reviews say what's up on Twitter all that jazz all the what's not and uh, you know happy holidays everyone uh, go Wiz